the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We're going to have a nice visit in just a few moments with our old friend, Ron Kessler. Ron Kessler has written many, many books, many, many books about presidents, about the Secret Service, about the White House. Fascinating man. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> pardon me, you're going to want to hear from him. We'll also visit with our old friend uh, uh, Noah Dingley, who's our great technical producer, and visit with him on uh, all things technical and what's happening with Facebook and Donald J. Trump. And then I'll wrap up today. I want you to, I want to tease this, as they say, tease this, because... The Chinese are preparing to eat our lunch in outer space if we don't get our head on straight. And Brandon Weikert, who's a great writer on this subject, has a piece that ran over in Real Clear Science and is on WND.com now. You're going to want to check that out. Check him out. And basically it's a warning about how we can get ahead of what they're about to do to us in um, space. In space, and so we want to we want to listen to what he says and see if we can get our head on straight. Um, you know, it's not doesn't seem so easy. It should be easier, but it doesn't seem that easy uh, right now. Okay, now let me. Um uh, let me remind you, excuse me, let me remind you to go over to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the daily email and get your daily email in your inbox. Very important, uh, very important time. You go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up there, just put your email address in Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, and all the times in between goes in your email box. And uh, in the morning, make sure you gives you a few points to read, books, uh, excuse me, links to click on and read, a few key points, and especially what you need to know. And today, what you need to know... I hope you had a chance. Uh, a lot of folks, I talked to a lot of folks today, all day Thursday, it was a national day of prayer. Now, this is a great tradition in our America, going on for hundreds of years. And the national day of prayer, the president does that by proclamation. And I just have to tell you, if you read the Joe Biden proclamation today, first of all, it doesn't actually include the word God. It, it even it doesn't even include uh, uh, the, the word, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, let me say it clearly, it does include the word the Lord, but only in the context of in the year of our Lord uh, 2021, not anything about the Lord. It does include uh, concerns, you have to pray for the climate change and, and racial division, all these kinds of things. And it doesn't really talk much about prayer, it sort of does. It's just modernist, milk toast drivel. And then I was saying, well, okay, uh, you know, it feels like, I mean, I knew Trump, uh, I knew, I know, I know that a, a proclamation like this is written by the speechwriters for the president. So it's not exactly the president's not sitting around, but it has the voice of the president. That's what you do as a speechwriter. And I knew that the two guys that were for much of the four years that Trump was in office were writing the speeches. And these guys were really, really good uh, at channeling President Trump's voice. And getting him um, to and articulating what he was uh, what he was thinking about and what he was interested in, and it takes a certain rhythm. You, as a speechwriter, you spend a, a good bit of time with the uh, with the principal, but you have to listen to what the principal says and does, and you start to pick up their voice. 
And Donald Trump's proclamations on the on the National Day of Prayer were very, they were scriptural, they were serious, they were high-minded, high comes to mind. And uh, But I was going back in time. I figured, okay, the modern moment, you know, well, let's see. So I went back to Lincoln. Lincoln's National Day of Prayer proclamation, and I think it was in 1863. And he talks about a day of, of fasting and prayer, fasting, humiliation. He talks about uh, asking for forgiveness from our sins and our national sins. He actually says, take the day off of work and go to your houses of worship and make the whole day a day of rest, a Sabbath. I mean, when you, you contrast where we are 150 years ago down to today, and Joe Biden's kind of modernist, milk toast, blah, you just shake your head and you wonder. Now, some would say, oh, well, who cares what the proclamation is? You know, it's not. But I, I care and you should care because yesterday I had lunch with an old friend of mine and he is. A, I, let me say it better. I, I had lunch with a friend of mine, a guy that I know for a couple of years now who happens to be an old timer. He's in his 80s and he happens to be really wise. Now, I think he was probably wise when he was in his 50s, probably in his 30s, too. He's very well-educated. He served in the military. Um, he's just an amazing guy. Joe Johnson is his name. He's a writer. He's been on the show. He wrote The Decline of Nations, a book that I enjoyed talking to him about. And we became friends. And I was asking him what he thought about it. And, you know, the moment we're in, the modern moment and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's been reading. Um, he's writing another book on communism. And so he's been reading back into the communist uh, revolution and different periods. And he said to me, the problem is you have sort of suddenly a couple of generations, you know, 35 and under, 35 years old and under, that have no conception of America's greatness. They have no appreciation for, you know, how how good we have been. They have no sense of why we're here in terms of the Judeo-Christian tradition and the things that mattered. And so he was kind of saying, you know, that's the problem. And it's a tough nut to crack because you can't sort of unwind, you know, 25 or 30 years of education, of, of indoctrination into thinking that America's bad and broken and failed and, and racist and all that. And we got into this discussion that in some sense, the 1619 Project is actually just a declaration of what the left has been doing to our kids for 25 or 30 years. I mean, I graduated high school in 1988. So that's what, 33 years ago. And I think in my high school time, there was some liberal stuff. But in general, we still were a lot of, there was a lot of Pledge of Allegiance and a lot of basics taught. And so somewhere in the last 30 years... Maybe they started in the, maybe they started in the, before that, but let's just say thirty years. We have we have seen this rapid uh, acceleration. But 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 my point here is that the sixteen nineteen project is is just an articulation of of sort of the accumulation of thirty or forty or fifty years of what they were doing. It's kind of like for all that time they were hiding it as they sort of they sort of slid us, you know, creeping. It was it was it was not sweeping. It was creeping. You know, self-hatred, you know, of America, hatred of America. It was not, it was not, it was creeping, right, slowly. And by 1619, they're like, yeah, we'll just come out and admit, we'll just come out and tell you. We just don't believe in this country the way you do, the way you did. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And when you see the contrast between, uh, between uh, Lincoln and Biden, and you look at the two of them, they almost seem to come from a completely different culture. And that's the problem. 
because it's a it's a culture. Culture is like the oxygen we breathe. Culture, the culture of America is is Judeo-Christian values. And one of the reasons why Biden's words matter, Lincoln's words matter, is because words matter. Words matter. The, the, the word of God, the word made flesh, the naming of things. And the left knows this. That's why they corrupt words so much. That's why they drive people away from the, from the God of the book. That's why they want, that's what they want you to do. They want you to be self-centered and self-referential. Don't look out to the Almighty. Look into yourself. And that's what's going on. So when you look at the words of Biden on, on the National Day of Prayer and you look at the words of Lincoln, it's not, it's not a minor shift. It's not a minor change. It's actually a change that makes you wonder if you can sustain this republic. Now, I went on an interview, a TV interview earlier today, and I, and I did an interview, and I was saying, they said there was a survey, stupid survey, right? Stupid survey done in 53 nations, uh, 53,000 people. Uh, what's the biggest threat to democracy? Only three choices, China, U.S., and, and Russia. And amazingly, uh, China, of course, 53 nations, right? Only one of them was America. The other 52 were all the Europe, Germany, all these places, China. Guess what? The Chinese all said, oh, America's the biggest threat. Anyway, by, by far, by, no, by, not by a percentage, uh, 38% of the respondents said America's a threat to, to, uh, to democracy, and they went back. The other two were behind it. Now, two points. One, it's a dumb poll. But two, you know who's the greatest purveyor of making people fear America is the fake news and the big tech and the big government. So, I mean, I'm, I stood, I defended America, of course. I said it's still, still the greatest place in the, wor- in the world, still got more freedom and all. But when you watch CNN in a, in, a, in a foreign hotel, which is what they watch, you think America's burning. You don't see the, the good things and the good people. So we're, we're trapped in this, and they're celebrating 1619 Project. And we got a President Biden who prays his day of prayer doesn't include a mention of the Lord. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. All right. We got to take a break. When we come back, we will visit with uh, our old friend Ron Kessler, talk about the White House, talk about Carter versus Biden. He knows a bit about both and see what he um, what kind of uh, update he can give and feedback he can give us there. All right. We'll take a break and be right back. Zed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is an old friend of mine. He has been on the program a number of times. I have to admit, it's been uh, a quite a few, um, I bet it's been almost a year. It's Ron Kessler, Ronald Kessler. Go to ronaldkessler.com. You'll see his many, many books. New York Times bestselling author, wrote books about, fascinating books about the White House. There's a lot of people that write about the White House. Uh, but then he wrote books about the Secret Service, the FBI, the CIA. And I think, Ron, remind me, did you start your career at the Worcester Telegram and Gazette? Is that the paper? Or am I getting, yeah. is my memory that's, off? That's right. Exactly right. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prou- proud product of the College of the Holy Cross. We, we proudly yeah. claim uh, Clarence Thomas and Father Paul Scalia as our alums. We do not claim Chris Matthews, although he did, uh, he did uh, <laughs> attend and matriculate. But we're talking with Ron Kessler. So, Ron, um, we haven't talked in a long time. You also wrote books about uh, Donald Trump, uh, about the uh, Palm Beach social scene about, I don't know, a decade or more ago. Um, so you know the, the Trumps before any of this political stuff. H- how's... Donald Trump adjusts to 
post being the center of the world as president? You know, he's totally uh, impregnable. Uh, he, he will never give up. Uh, the defeats don't bother him at all. Um, and he's just going to keep plowing ahead, no question. He, um, If you had to bet a nickel, I mean, it's an easy way to not make it a real bet, but if he runs again for president, just yes or no, do you think today, will he run again? I don't think so. I think he's going to look at the polls and, and, and realize that there isn't enough support. Huh. I think that's what I told someone about that. It's very practical. You know, I, I worked for the late Phyllis Schlafly, and everybody thought she was um, she was a sort of, um, a, a, well, she was a, a diehard conservative, but she also was very, very practical. She she knew what fights to pick and when to pick them and how to, you know, you can't, you just can't die on every hill. And I, I think uh, people don't realize Donald Trump is very practical. Okay, but we'll, we'll come back to Trump, I, I think. But uh, you wrote a piece that sent out to your email list. And again, if, if folks want to follow you, they go to ronaldkessler.com and uh, they can sign up. There and but the, the, you sent out this piece on Carter and Biden, and you have some in, you know have some sense from having written about the uh, Secret Service and all how Carter was behind the the closed door in the Oval Office. So walk us through this contrast between Biden and Carter. Yeah, I, I make the point that the two of them are among the phoniest presidents in our history. In the case of in the case of uh, Carter, he would pretend to carry his own luggage. Uh, when traveling, but actually it was empty, and as soon as the cameras were, were gone, he would give it to Secret Service agents to carry. And this is from Secret Service agents, uh, many of them quoted on the record in my book, The First Family Detail. Uh, he would also go into the Oval Office early, and uh, the press would be told that he's in there working hard for the American people, but then he would fall asleep on a couch. Again, Secret Service would observe this. Uh, so uh, from start to finish, he was he was one of the phoniest presidents. The, the worst was he would pretend to be this jolly uh, uh, guy who cares about the little people, just like Hillary. He would always have a smile on his face, but actually he would tell Secret Service agents that he did he did not want them to say hello to him in the morning on the way to the Oval Office. It was just apparently too much bother to say hello back to another huh. human being. And I, I quote uh, another agent on the record saying that he drove him uh, for seven months, and he and and Carter never spoke with him at all except to discuss uh, directions. Never, hmm. never uh, chatted with him. So this is the kind of guy he was. Uh, and uh, and the same with uh, Biden. Uh, in his case, of course, he he pulled this massive bait and switch on us. Uh, pretending to be a moderate, and in fact uh, governing as a, as a left wing uh, ideologue, uh, and uh, receiving praise from AOC. Uh, so he's another, uh, uh, you know, uh, phony. And uh, the two deserve each other. I made the point that they just visited <laughs> with each other in Georgia, and, and that was very yeah. fitting. Uh, we're talking with Ron Kessler, his uh, website, ronaldkessler.com. The piece we're referring to ran over in the Washington Times a few days ago. Um, <clears throat> here's a funny one, uh, uh, something you wrote about I've never seen written about. I've often wondered about the nuclear football, which had a different kind of salience to uh, people of your generation. You're, you know, your generation or, or two ahead of me. And then my father would talk about, you know, hiding under his uh, having to go under his desk during the um, 
nuclear fallout drills as a child. And I'm, I'm a little behind that. And people today, kids today are not even aware of it. But the nuclear football, the notion that always within arm's length of the president was the ability to launch a nuclear counterattack, I suppose, if it was needed. And in this case, uh, I, I can't believe this was sort of allowed. I guess if you're the if you're the commander in chief, you can do what you want. Carter didn't even keep the nuclear football with him when he was president. That was in the 70s. And you, you detailed that the backup nuclear football that would have had to follow the vice president around. Biden didn't want it near him either. It's a kind of a funny detail. But is it just um, was it just the, the, the they figured that everybody would solve it fast enough if they needed to get to it? Or what, what is what's going on here? It's a, it's, a, it's a strange detail to me. It's kind of troubling. I mean, it's more than troubling. It's, it's, it's. I think one of the most shocking re- revelations about presidents uh, and vice presidents in our history, and yet nobody's latched onto this. Nobody's investigated. It would be very simple to interview Secret Service agents who would who would uh, describe what Biden was doing as vice president, and that is, whenever he would go back to Wilmington, which is often several times a week, um, he would insist that the military aid with the nuclear football remain at least a mile behind in his motorcade. And the reason was he wanted to pretend to be the regular Joe, uh, the image that, that he tries to project, uh, a man of the people. Oh. He didn't want to have a long motorcade. <clears throat> of course, there would be no way, even with normal traffic, for the military aid to catch up with Biden in time to uh, oh. avoid obliteration of the U.S. if <laughs> Obama had been taken out. And the same with uh, Carter. He insisted that the military aid with a nuclear football uh, remain uh, in Americas, which is a 17-mile drive from his home. He didn't want him on the on the premises. You know, a lot of this is sort of anti-military uh, animus. They don't want uh, military people around. And uh, and again, uh, Carter, you know, wanted to pretend that he was this good old boy. He, he wouldn't uh, have anything uh, official, uh, official around him or scary around him. Um, just, just the most shocking revelations, and and yet nobody's picked it up. We're talking with Ron Kessler, and again, RonaldKessler.com is his website. Lots of reading there, lots of things to read there, and also his list of books. Um, Ron, uh, the, the the at this point in the presidency, um, the coverage of Biden. I mean, uh, me, I'm not I'm not able to be unbiased, right? I look at it and I say, if Donald Trump, um, you know, had a bad hair day, they wrote about how he was, you know, near death, or you know, he was uh, he, he remember he stumbled down the he slid down the ramp at West Point, and they said, you know, he's really lost it and all, and and the coverage of Biden now is is obviously just it's almost infuriating on the other hand um what's your analysis of of who's really in charge i know a lot of people say oh he seems kind of dim-witted and all i don't mean that i mean in any given white house there are centers of power you know you could say it was jared and and uh ivanka you know bannon when he was in office pick a pick a person who's really in charge here is it is ron Klain the dominant character who's been with biden forever is it the susan rice uh sort of obama wing what, what's your sense of 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 who's really a kind of dominating right now? You know, what I've picked up is that uh, the decisions are made by a small committee, including those people you mentioned, and they sort of agree on everything, and then they present it to Biden, and he signs off, and if there's any trouble, uh, they bring in uh, Kamala Harris, and and she'll convince Biden, but basically the the policy is set by by these uh, people who are generally left-wing, and uh, so, so... you're exactly right. He's not really in charge. Uh, he sort of, uh, you know, dips in every now and then. 
and and you know you sense that when he when he speaks when he uh, uh, gives a speech uh, he, it's halting you, you you never know if he's going to come out with another uh, blooper or not uh, so you know you have to believe your own eyes. We're talking with again with Ron Kessler. RonaldKessler.com is his website, and I'm looking at his bio, the many, many books, and uh, and uh, two books uh, back on the, in the inside the White House of George W. Bush and uh, uh, Laura Bush, and then um, he also uh, wrote a book, one of the earliest, I think one of the first books that had a um, in-depth interview with Donald Trump as president, uh, which uh, he published. And, and um, so, Ron... Uh, Tell me about your what are your thoughts on where we are in terms of the media? Uh, By the way, it was called, excuse me, the Trump White House changing the rules of the game. Um, And uh, but, you know, the media, you started your career as an investigative reporter, wrote for The Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, uh, all sorts of places. Uh, It feels like the mainstream media has really collapsed. Is that am I overdoing it? Am I overfeeling it? And and um, and what what's going to happen if it's if that's so, are we just divided up into a into like the world was a America was a hundred and ten years ago? I remember in St. Louis, someone told me in St. Louis where I was living at the time, there was fifty daily newspapers, one for the German conservatives, one for the Irish liberals. You know, all these different. Are we just going to end up with our own little conversation amongst our own sources and believe what we believe? But first, that question: Has the mainstream media just collapsed? I, I would say they've uh, foregone standards uh, totally. When I was at the Washington Post, uh, and I began to, during Watergate, I sat next to Woodward and Bernstein, and I would overhear their uh, conversations. And, and if they had made a mistake, or I made a mistake, or, or, or wrote one of these uh, totally slanted stories, we would have been, fi- would have been fired. I mean, they, they literally were on the verge of being fired when, when they made one mistake on the Watergate stories. Uh, and I know, you know, Ben Bradley, the executive editor of the Washington Post, uh, you know, constantly applied pressure to to make sure that stories were fair, and and now that's totally gone out the window. You know, it, it's not that that you know you, you you want to ignore the Washington Post, for example, which does occasionally write something on the other side, and they do repeatedly say that the border uh, crossings are are the worst in 20 years, totally contradicting what the White House is saying. But most of the time, it's it's absurd, uh, you know, left-wing propaganda. For example, on on the uh, uh, voting laws in in the various states, you know, they say it's restrictive. No, it's just it's just common sense uh, to have some security. Uh, so you see that all the time, and um, you know, people do uh, choose uh, the outlet that they want that will feed into their own uh, inclinations. And that's the way it works. You know, we are polarized. It's not going to change. Uh, a lot of it is driven by the um, uh, the fact that that uh, media is judged by how many uh, hits uh, they get online, and so they want to come right, up with the most right. sensational story, even if it's not right. true. <laughs> Ridiculous. Right. Right. It is. So what? So you do think that's you think we're kind of going back. All right. Well, last question again, Ron Kessler. I'm sorry. I'm looking back at my notes because I was looking forward to talking to you. Uh, Donald Trump. I asked you if he'd run again. But it, it, does Donald Trump, um, <clears throat> he will play the kingmaker, right? I mean, he will want to be the guy who uh, is helping pick the next president. Do you have any any insight on, on who that might be, who he likes the best in, in this crowded world of well, people think, who are out there? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, he, he definitely likes DeSantis. And I think, uh, you know, he, DeSantis came out 
uh, second to Trump in the uh, straw poll at, at CPAC, as you recall. Uh, only half of the people at CPAC said that uh, Trump should run again. That tells you a lot, given that uh, you know those are the real uh, activists. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. I think uh, that uh, I really think DeSantis will make it in the end. Hmm, very good. All right. Ron Kessler, thanks very much. RonaldKessler.com. Check it out there. And I'll put up on social media this piece he wrote uh, for The Washington Times. Thanks again, Ron. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. I hate to do it. I hate to do it. But my old friend, Noah, is supposed to be the technical director, and he's got a taste of it, and he's now on. Uh, he's coming on. I'm hogging the spotlight is what I'm the, doing. Exactly. Why isn't he on all the time? So we're going to touch base with Noah, and I have a couple of questions because Noah's been a communications professional for decades. And so, first of all, I want to ask you. you first of all, you make me air. sound so uh, old. Well, I mean, you are kind of old. I mean, you're an old. You got kids that are adults. You've got uh, you've got um, you know blazers that are like 25 years old <laughs> with I mean, the you know, you know so the patches on the arm and everything. It's amazing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, smoking jacket. I mean, you know, you wear long pants, <laughs> pajamas. Uh, all right, so Noah. What Facebook, by the way, you do realize, and I mean, I mean, everybody listeners do, the Facebook Super Supreme Court, the oversight board, did not actually say Trump should be suspended forever. They actually came back and said to Facebook, we don't really know what you did, so we're not sure he should be suspended or not. That's actually what they said. They basically said, Facebook, you figure it out. We're just the oversight board because it wasn't clear. But let's let, for now, Trump is not on Facebook. And he started DonaldJTrump.com. He started this sort of blog. And the blog is set up in such a way, for those that haven't looked at it, that he's basically tweeting on the blog. And you can hit the button and retweet him or put it on Facebook or other. Now, first of all, do you think, Noah, now you've been in communications a long time and seen radio, um, is Trump benefiting or is he being penalized for not being on social media? I will tell you this, as much as, and I'm not on Twitter anymore, I couldn't take it for, for what it was becoming, just this negative cesspool of information. But anyway, you know, so he was off Twitter. Now he's, you know, being moved off of Facebook, whether it's permanent or temporary, we shall see. So he's come up with this brand new platform on DonaldJTrump.com. If you go to the news tab, he's pretty much got a tweet that he's coming out with. It's a little longer than what you would see on Twitter, but a tweet, if you will, every single day. A little, he's got more of a blog presence now a lot of people thought that oh trump's going to do this big social media platform and maybe that's coming down the road which would be good because we do need conservative social media out there but with this coming straight from his website he can't be censored and eventually people are going to know where to find his stuff and then they're going to share it to the facebooks and the twitters and if they censor that well that's they're not going to be making their uh, companies look too good well, but then, but I want to, I want to go back to my question, which you didn't answer. I, mean, I don't know whether it was. Oh, am I, am I a politician? What's I going on? Question. Yeah, exactly. What are you running for office? But I want to, before I do that, I want to describe, uh, Noah just said, DonaldJTrump.com. You actually click on the, the, the desk. I get, does it work for news too? I guess it works for news too. Yeah. Sorry. But if you go to desk, desk is set up in such a way and, and next to it, he put a statement out. Uh, let's see a 
at, at, at noon on Thursday. But next to it is an F, the Facebook F, the Twitter bird, and a like symbol. And you can just hit, and I just did it, you can hit the Twitter bird, and it goes into my Twitter account and allows me to tweet it. And they don't block it. So, you know, you got to figure it's not quite the same as him doing it, where he had 82 million people watching, but he's got people like me who will hit and, you know, hit, hit and send on that. But now let me go back to the question. Again, Noah, you've been in, in, in communications for decades. Is Donald Trump, was he penalized by being off off social media for the last two months, three months. And by that, I mean, in some ways, less frantic and frenetic Trump energy. I think maybe he benefited. I think he benefits 100 percent. There's there's so much, as you just said, frantic energy whenever he would put out some type of a post on any of those platforms that it really kind of took away from the message of what he was trying to ultimately get out there. And this is his own thing. And I think this is, you know what? Let him back on. Eventually, he might not want to get back on. Well, and that's my point is I think he actually is um, he benefits from sort of uh, almost looming large, but not having to be down in the fray. And that, that's that's what I that's the end of the day. This is right, taking uh, big tech to task, which is something that's needed to be done for a long time. Well, okay, but now let's go back to that. I and mean, this is something that frustrates me. Um, the number of, of prominent issues that you will have Republicans say clearly, clearly, they'll say it as clear as day. If you elect me, I will do this. So, for example, for a decade, Paul Ryan, if you elect me, if we get the majority, if we have a Republican president, we'll defund Planned Parenthood. We'll be pro-life. Gets elected, doesn't defund Planned Parenthood. Doesn't really do anything pro-life other than normal stuff, you know. And, and so the number of times that happens on a major issue is like – all the time. And it happens, it seems to me, more to conservatives. We get, you know, and even I'll do this to Trump. Trump ran in 2016. He said over and over again, when I'm elected, we're going to get rid of Common Core. They didn't really get rid of Common Core. I mean, it, the federal government really can't, but he could have done a lot more. But OK, so now here's what we have. Jim Jordan, good guy, fighter. Lots of people. Elise Stefanik. She's going to go into leadership in the Republican cause. I'm a big Jordan fan. Break up, break, break up Facebook. They say break up Facebook. These guys have too much power. And the Democrats have it right now control of the House. They've got a majority that will break up Facebook and yet no one will do it. And the reason no one will do it is because the truth is Facebook and all the other big tech companies have everybody in their pocket. Another example, everybody says, oh, yeah, pharmaceutical prices are way too high. We got to do something about it. And you go up on Capitol Hill and you find that the one party that has dominant majorities is pharma. And my point here is you say, you say, all right, big tech, let's break them up. Facebook, let's break them up. They're finally going to reckoning. Donald Trump knew for four years and for two of the years he had a House and Senate and they didn't do anything to big tech. Why? How is it going to be different now? That's an excellent question. And this is something I've been thinking about the last couple of days, not exclusively to big tech, Ed, but I think big tech is a big one. So I hear the talking points. You see it on the media networks. You see where they're coming out and they're saying, big tech's got to be stopped. They've got to be broken up. There is not enough action on this, and they need to mobilize at the ground level, get supporters behind it. And there are supporters. The public knows there's a problem. And that is what the Republican Party, if they pick maybe a handful of issues that they are going to actually do something about – and they're going to get pushed back from the Democrats. Don't get me wrong. This might be, other than the election stuff, issue number one. 
and 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 the and my thing on that that's an excellent point my my that's the next one uh i'll slide right to it for i was chairman of the board of elections in 20 2005 2006 at that time i had republicans conservatives saying yeah 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 we're gonna reform we're gonna have photo id we're gonna have all and we're now 15 16 years later we're in legislatures across the country and they're picking around at the edges they're just picking around at the edges. You know, today, uh, earlier on Thursday, the news came out of Arizona that they had, uh, of all their machines they were using, this is a report, I don't know if it's true yet, but a report out of Arizona that the machines that were used in the election, at least one big portion of Maricopa County, that the administrator, uh, uh, the administrator, um, uh, access. So on all these machines, when you go and work a poll, I don't know if you ever worked a poll, no, but you go to work a poll, there's, there's an administrator, at least one in a place, and they have access sort of to go in, in, you know, it's the administrator. It's got access to everything. It's not just a user. And there was no administrator passwords, which meant all you had to do was have an administrator name and you could go in, no password, no security. Now, again, that doesn't mean there was a stolen election, but here we are, and the Republicans, conservatives, are picking around the edges. Again, for, for two full years, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump had majorities. Did they pass a mandatory photo ID for elections? No. Did they, they didn't do anything like that. They they did tax cuts. And and again, my point is the left says we got power. Oh, watch us shove a stimulus down your throat in 09, show Obamacare down your throat in 10, and here we go. Keep going, right? On, on now in 20, 2021, we'll do a, tr- a trillion, two trillion dollar uh, boondoggle spending thing, et cetera, et cetera. Well, here's and the problem, side, saying, and, yeah, and we- I agree with you on all those points. I think that was very well stated. We should have taken the time when we had it to make sure that elections were done right. And what did we do? You let you said it perfectly. You know, there was lots of picking around the corners. Honestly, we didn't do anything. And now now that the other side is in power, they're doing everything that they can to make sure election reform never happens, or at least not the way that it should. Of course, they want to pass H.R. 1, which would make any type of legitimate election reform completely impossible. So it's going to be an uphill climb. But this is something else. This is issue number one, as I said, that the Republicans need to show the voters that they are going to stand up for. And at the end of the day, we're going to take the elections and make them something that people can be proud of. Yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is uh, <clears throat> what I'm struggling with is and it's common and it happens. Whoever's out of power, you hear the, the kinds of sounds we're saying, the wishful thinking. You know, if you were the Democrats, you would have had, you know, you had people saying, my gosh, you know, why didn't RBG resign? You know, when, when she could have retired earlier, and there's always there's always wishful thinking of you had done it differently. Uh, my point here is that the Republican Party has been shown a path on how to fight Trump. But it hasn't been shown a path on how to, and I say this with a little bit of caution, but how to be ruthless in success, how to actually take the power. And, you know, when you watch Ron DeSantis. Here's the thing. I agree with you, because something I also talk about every day on the various talk shows that I'm on and producing is that the Democrats fight tooth and nail every single day. 24 hours a day to make sure they get what they want. The Republicans don't do that. Yeah. And yeah. that, and that's yeah, something that's that they, right. they can do. They can be just as dedicated and just as consuming with repeating the same messages and doing more action. They have to do these things like the Democrats do them, because if they don't, they better enjoy second place because that's what they're going to get. 
Yep. All right. Well, you're never in second place where when it comes to me. Uh, no, I mean maybe third or fourth, but still. Uh, thank you, Noah, as always, and get back behind. Get put. Turn the, turn your mic off. Get back to work. Turn and, the mic uh, off. I'm back I'm behind the curtain. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Noah, and uh, we will take a break and wrap. We'll come back and wrap things up. Zed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let's wrap things up. I want to cover this topic. I'm just going to cover a, a, a report that I heard. And this, again, is what I mean by how much is happening while the world breathlessly, the media world breathlessly covers Liz Cheney. Like that's big news. Who who the who the who the number three in the Republican uh, uh, Party is in the House, which has no power. OK, so but here while we're sleeping, while America is sleeping, China is reaping. And so there's a piece over at WND, and the piece catalogs how the Chinese are having new space effort. Okay? So the space effort is um, – now, you may not even realize this. And once I saw this story, I went back and started doing some other reading. And we're, I'm going to try to have him on the show with us. Brandon Weikert has been on the show. He's uh, A couple times he's talked about his books with us. And Brandon Weikert writes this column. And the column is um, all about how the International Space Station – is is uh, something that we all have uh, been engaged in. When I say we all, America has been a partner in that with China and Russia and others all up and says so you just kind of get up there and you're working together. And so what what he goes on to say is that the the um, the, the Chinese in typical fashion have said we're going to dominate space. And one of the ways they're going to dominate space is to go up and and uh, on the space station and in other places, you know, uh, uh, stomp on, move quickly over our rights, meaning America. They don't care what we think about. And so he goes on in this piece to talk about how this, um, the, the, their components of the International Space Station, their International Space Station, will be, uh, you know, obviously they're brand new, and they will be uh, dominant, and they will give them a chance to be spying on the Americans in almost every way. And they'll be able to, as he says here, they'll be pilfering uh, what they need with foreign entities, you know, trade secrets, corporations, all that. It's a fascinating topic. And, I, you know, someone said a couple of months ago, whoever wins, whoever wins the battle for space is the, is the superpower. Because if it's us, we'll be benign, even though I'm, we're not always perfect. I'm not saying America's perfect, but we're benign. We're generally benign. We're, we're generally for peace and for, you know, I mean, we can I get anti-Americans on and we quibble about it. But if the communist regime wins, there's nothing benign about that. There's nothing about weaponizing space with the communist regime that will be a, a positive thing. And what China's doing is setting up their situation where they become the, they become the player that other nations that want to do anything in space are going to have to go through China. They're basically positioning themselves. They're getting ahead of us. And you guys got to read this. I'll put it up on social media. Brendan Weikert, he wrote a book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. We've had him on the program before, Republic Book Published. So I'm going to try to get him on again. You can go uh, at We the Brandon is his Twitter feed, which is Twitter uh, handle, which is a good one, at the We, we, the, at we the Brandon. Uh, but it's a good one. It's a good one. And while we're fighting over whether Liz Cheney is a nice, uh, a nice enough Republican or not, the Chinese are eating our lunch. That's the message. That's the takeaway from this. And that if we want to be serious, we have to get our, our focus now, I will say one good piece of news, one, one very good piece of news is if you're watching the nuclear, the question of nuclear power, 
After all the talk, and there's lots of money being wasted on green energy stuff, boondoggles, you know, windmills and uh, and uh, solar panels, all subsidized, all Democrats passing money around to each other. The one thing the Bidens haven't done, the Biden administration has not done, is they have not cut back on nuclear, the development of nuclear. There's a lot happening in nuclear power. Trump started it, and Biden is letting it go forward, because that's the path out. The new generation, the generation for nuclear, is the path out of all these problems. Because it gets us cleaner energy, but it gets us sustainable energy. I mean, energy that just, it it wipes out, in terms of efficiency, any of the other uh, sources. So that's the way forward. All right. That's all I've got, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Follow us there. Excuse me. Sign up for the email. Uh, Follow us on social media. And also, um, if you want to follow up and listen to some of these interviews, they're all posted over there. Thank you, Noah, our great technical director. Thank you to Joanna for booking our guest. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.